All right. Really jumping into our Noel series today. So uh, we're in episode two today. And um, if we think about Jesus, Jesus is a very well-respected figure uh, globally around the world. Obviously, we'd expect in kind of Western cultures that have kind of a Christian tradition to them for Jesus to be well thought of. And it's astonishing, actually, how well respected and honored Jesus is. People have a pretty positive view about Jesus, not always the church, right? And that's our problem. That's our fault. But, uh, but Jesus uh, has, has a strong reputation. Even people, even non-Western Western cultures that don't have a Christian background, uh, even all of those cultures will, high, will, will hold Jesus in high regard, oftentimes honoring him and respecting him. Now, even with that, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that people automatically accept his claims of divinity or automatically follow his teachings or, you know... It, People still downplay the true significance of his life, but it still remains the fact that he is well-respected and and thought of. And after 2,022 years, people have tried to get rid of Jesus, tried to erase Jesus, tried to forget Jesus, but he's not going anywhere. You cannot get rid of Jesus. He just keeps coming back time and time again. He's like the Terminator. He's like, I'll be back. He just keeps coming back. And, uh, And he's the only one that can truly save John Connor as well. And... What we see is we see that Jesus, we can say Jesus is one of the most influential people in history. We could say he's in the top five, at least, top three, surely. I mean, Christians, we'd argue he's, he's the top. He's the, the most influential person in human history. We, we see it by how many Bibles are sold every year. This is the number one best-selling book. They don't even include it on the book list. If you look at the top ten, you know, the top ten or the, you know, the top-selling books, they exclude the Bible because it beats all other books year on year, year after year. This is how powerful this word is from God, the revelation of Jesus from God. At Christmas time, when we put up lights, we're entering into a, a Christian truth, a Christian tradition that we're declaring that Jesus is the light of the world. So as we light up our city, as you see lights on houses, as you put up lights on a Christmas tree, whatever it is, as we light candles, what, all the light stuff that we do, even though a lot of people don't know the meaning of it. They don't know why they're doing it. They're declaring something profound. They're declaring Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. This, this person, unlike anybody else, he's still influencing things. And thousands of people are still turning to Jesus all the time. Thousands upon thousands of people. I mean, Christianity is still spreading around the world. There are revivals in, in different countries. It's, it's amazing to see how many, I mean, we think of everyday ordinary people giving their lives to Christ. It happens all the time everywhere. That, then there are well-known people that we, we hear of as well. Big, you know, figures at times. You know, somebody like, you think of like someone like Johnny Cash. He was a Jesus follower. Think of Bono. He believes in Jesus. Denzel Washington believes in Jesus. Chuck Norris believes in Jesus. Jesus walked on water, but Chuck Norris swam through land. I don't know what relevance that has for today, but I thought I'd say it. A Chuck Norris joke always helps. People, powerful people, impressive people, serious people follow Jesus because he's so compelling, so amazing, so original. Nobody like him. For those of us who believe his claims of divinity and say he is from God. He has come from, he's not just a great teacher, not just an influential person. He's actually God in the flesh. We might say we believe in him, but even for us, it's still a challenge to follow all of his teachings, isn't it? I mean, his teachings are immense. I mean, they've changed the world. They're so deep, so profound. It's hard for us to follow. And so Christmas time is this time where we come back to a place of adoration, thinking upon his birth, thinking upon what he's done, who he is, 
and how it needs to speak to us, how it needs to transform us, how we need to respond to it. The other reason uh, that Christmas exists, of course, not just to remember Jesus, but to also watch Home Alone. Let's read from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 6. Isaiah 8, verse 6. Let's pray. Isaiah 9, verse 6, excuse me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Christmas time. We thank you that you were born as a child and that you've come to bring light. You've come to bring hope and joy and peace. And I pray today that for anyone who is skeptical, anyone who thinks I, I can't give up the things in my life that I love, even if it means finding God, I just can't do it. I pray today you'd help them know that it's not a sacrifice at all to give up the things they think are so important. That won't matter at the end of their life anyway. I pray for that, Lord. Come to us, inspire us, help us not just to see you as an influential person, help us to see you as God. Because that's who you said you were. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 9 verse 6, just one verse today. That doesn't mean you should expect a shorter sermon though. Isaiah prophesies this, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be, shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is God's word. This was written, these words were written down about 740 BC, so a long time before Jesus was born. And uh, we see that this prophecy comes through this guy called Isaiah. And um, during ancient Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, they were, during this time period, they were spiritual, they were religious, of course, uh, but they weren't following God. And we know that because of how they treated other people. They were mistreating other people are mistreating their own people as well. Uh, one way they were, they were doing, doing that in many ways, but one way that they were doing that was that they were enslaving people. And so we see there's a difference. There's always a difference between what people say in terms of, oh, I believe this, I believe in God. Yes, that they say religious things, or they say they're spiritual, but you know somebody's true beliefs and true religion by how they treat other people. That's, it always comes down to that. And so that's the problem of the people of Isaiah's day. Seven, uh, 740 BC, they had stopped really believing and following the God of the Bible. And so Isaiah comes with this, this message of redemption, this message of salvation, to be made right with God, to come back to God's ways, to be called back to, to him. And what's exciting about the Bible is, um, as you read it, as you really grapple with it and go through it, is it's a big story of history of God giving promises, God speaking to the human race, God declaring his plan of salvation, saying this is how you can be made right with God. This is how you can be forgiven of your own sin and your own guilt. Don't deny it. We've all got it. Not here to point the finger at anyone. Pointing the, finger, the finger is pointed at all of us. But this is the message, the message that comes through. And so one of the big promises in the Bible is one of the biggest ones, early ones, is God sees this guy called Abraham and he sees, or he changed his name, but he sees this guy and he, he sees his faith. He sees that he believes in God's word and wants to follow God and wants to trust God. And so God loves to see faith in the human heart. Belief in what is good 
and what needs to be followed. And so God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you because of this faith, not because of his works, but because of his faith. I'm going to bless you because of that. And I'm going to bless your descendants as well. And then I'm going to cause your descendants to be a blessing to everybody else. This is one of the big promises in the Bible. It's one of the big elements, one of the big stories of the Bible. And we're told that it's not just going to be that all of your descendants are going to shine the light and going to be a blessing, but there's going to be one in particular. There's going to be a particular descendant of Abraham, a particular Jew who is going to come, is going to be extraordinarily special, who's going to do things you've never even imagined or thought of and explain everything in such a powerful way. And in Isaiah's day, the people had abandoned God's word and God's ways, and they were either creating their own traditions and just being very religious, or they were caught up in really the lusting after the idolatry and, and, and the, the ways of the world around the cultures around them. And that we see that in our day and age as well. We see it's tempting to either say, well, I just want to get caught up in the traditions of religion, the traditions of man, or I want to get caught up in the ways of the world and the things that the world offers me. Those are two, two traps that we can fall into rather than actually following the spirit of God. And Isaiah is a very serious book. If you ever read the whole book of Isaiah, it's, it's, it's fairly dark in places, very serious. He's prophesying warnings against God's people for turning away from them. But it's also a very hope-filled book. Because here's the message of the Bible, and it comes through in Isaiah, that God is planning to rescue everybody. God's got a plan, a plan to rescue the human heart from its own evil. And this plan is going to be about God taking the initiative to give each one of us a free gift of grace, to offer to us free grace, the forgiveness of your sins, to be taken away from you, not based on your accumulated good works or how repentant you are or your level of penance or humility, but based on his own work, his own righteousness, his own goodness. It's a radical, incredible message that comes through the pages of the Bible. We see it coming about, culminating in the life and ministry of Jesus. Imagine it this way. Imagine if all your debts were forgiven, your financial debts. Some... Some people, maybe, some of, maybe you've paid off large amounts of debt. I know a few people have paid off large amounts of debt. Imagine, remember the relief. Because oh, financial debt is such a weight. It's like crushing. It is. And when you get free of that, imagine, imagine being free of that. And, and the relief, and like, oh man. Because right now, all, all of my extra money's kind of, it's got to be going towards this expense, this debt that's got interest on it. It's growing. It's, that's, God has a spiritual debt relief plan for us, for you, and for me. And the result of this plan, if you enter into this salvation plan, this gift, this free gift of grace, you enter into it, the result of it, and we're told this again in Isaiah, we're told this throughout the Bible, is endless joy. Endless, you can get endless joy. I mean, I love, man, that second song we did, that was a joyful song, wasn't it? I was a, my heart was filled with joy. My wife is dancing next to me. I was like, I'm not sure if I can dance in these shoes, in my boots. But I was like, I, my heart was dancing. She was dancing in heels. Everything I, she, yeah, she's doing it. 
Everything I'm doing, she's doing in hills, basically. So, endless joy. That's one of the reasons I love, I love Christmas time because it is a, you know, we, we talk about the joy of Christmas and I love saying Merry Christmas to people. I try and do it as early as I can. I know some people are sensitive to celebrating Christmas too early, but bar humbug to you. Let's bring Christmas joy in. I love saying, I love saying Merry Christmas to people because for me, it's, it's, it's wrapped up in, in what God has done through Jesus. And so to better, obviously, you know, I'm not going to rub it in someone's face if, if they don't believe in, in you know, Christmas or they don't believe follow Jesus or they're of a different faith. I'm not going to do that. But for those who I know are going to receive the greeting, uh, I love to wish people Merry Christmas because it, it has, I'm declaring, we're declaring in these kind of greetings, we're declaring the joy of knowing Jesus. The joy of having the evil of your own heart purged out of you, transformed out of you, changed out of you, forever forgiven, forever changed. What a joy. Isn't there anything else that they, I mean, what does the human race need more than infinite joy and freedom from evil? We're so miserable. We're a miserable bunch. We're not getting any better. I think we're getting better. We're not getting better. We're getting worse. I think we're getting worse. Our generation is kind of like Isaiah's generation. They had a quasi-religious heritage that they weren't really following. And our generation is kind of like this. We have a a quasi-religious heritage that we're kind of living off of the values of of it. People don't realize that they essentially... When you, when you grow up in a culture, you can't see how the culture has shaped you. You're blind to it. You're completely blind to it. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's the thing is, you're Christian because of your context. In this sense, I don't mean that you are a Christian. I'm saying you have Christian values if you have grown up in this context or other contexts that have a historical heritage to them. And so we're living in a time where it's like we've kind of lost those roots, and so we're kind of living off of the... The, the, the dying kind of, well, our culture that's kind of like fading away. We, we, we're living off of that. We're living in, in this sense of like we, we, we're kind of quasi-religious. We've got some religious principles, religious you know, ideas, but we've kind of rejected the God of the Bible. And, you, and we know we've rejected the God of the Bible because like at this time where they're mistreating people, mistreating each other and enslaving people, we too are in a culture that is mistreating people and enslaving people. We're a culture of, of, of enslavement, actually. We're, we're enslaved. I mean, even our levels of debt is a form of slavery. The Bible directly says that. But even how we treat others and how we... I mean, we're a culture that's grappling with addiction in, in, in record numbers. And the pandemic made that worse, right? People turn to all kinds of things. I mean, you think about something like the, the pornographic industry. You think... Not just the people enslaved to something, but the people in that are enslaved. I'm going to talk more about different ways that we mistreat people, but we know that we don't really, we might have some Christian virtues that we're living with a legacy of, but we don't, we've fallen so far away from God on Christmas. And there's a prophecy from Isaiah Hey, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and describing this child and what this child is going to do. This is a reminder, a prophetic reminder to us of what God is doing in, in, in the earth. Because things have to, sometimes have to get really bad before, the darkness has to get really bad again before you can actually see the light. And see, oh, that's, that's what the light is, that there is a difference between good and evil. Good and evil are real categories. It's not just made up. It's not just imaginary. It's not just things that we just think are bad. No, there's, there's evil 
that has to be defeated. Evil has to be fought against. And it, the only way to fight evil is with good. This is the age-old story from the beginning of time. And this is why we have faith in God, because we believe God is good. And so we're trying to shine the light of this message of grace, this good message of God. And many churches around the world, we're trying to shine the true light of the true message of Jesus. And this, this verse says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. So it's saying that this gift of grace, being free from evil, is going to come through a child. Specifically, a baby boy is going to be born. And of course, this particular boy that was born has transformed the world like nobody else ever has. And every life that's born touches the world in some regard. Even the, 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 the multitude of lives that won't ever really be known or won't ever be famous. Every life, it touches the other lives that it affects. It touches those lives. And every, every life that comes in matters and is important. And if you think about it, there's not too many things in, in the world that fascinate us or, or grip our attention than a newborn baby, right? Unless you're, unless you're a moral monster. <laughs> Assuming that the baby's, you know, had its diaper changed and it's been fed and it's not gas, you know, it doesn't have gas. Assuming all that, people, it's kind of mesmerizing. See, a, new, a newborn baby is... Me- you, Parents, people, people that maybe aren't even spiritual, I, I've heard this before, people, if they have their own baby, once they have their own baby and they, they hold that baby, they'll look in the face of that child and they'll say, this is a miracle. They'll actually say, I, I, now, I believe in miracles now because of, look at this. How do we do this? I mean, people say they make babies. It's like, no, God makes babies. Like, how could we do that? How could any of us make something like this? This is God's creative work. If you ever see... You know, this is more typical. Not, not all women do this, but this is more typical amongst women than amongst men. But if you see a group of women gathering around a newborn baby, doting over the cuteness, how adorable it is. It's like an energy pulsating from that that's powerful. Children are, they represent something innocent, don't they? We, we know that the human heart is, is automatically kind of broken from birth and it's, we're all self-centered and selfish and we, um, you know, we're all capable of the worst evil. But... but there's something about a baby that's like, there's a clean slate there, you know? Something, something that hasn't been corrupted yet. We, we get that, right? We, 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 something beautiful, something wonderful. And, and a baby is, is a personal gift. It's such a, especially when you see your own baby and you see, like, this baby looks like me in some way. Like, it's, this, is, this is incredible. This is miraculous. And the verse says that this, this child is given to us. It's given to us. Imagine walking along the street and someone just hands you a baby. He says, here you go. Here's a baby. <laughs> the hu- God gave the human race a baby. And it has to be, a child has to be a gift because no one's ever ready to get a baby. If you had to wait to be ready to be a parent, the human race would go extinct. Because... You never have enough, not enough money. You never mature enough, right? Nothing's quite ready enough. Babies always come at inconvenient times. You know, people get accidentally pregnant all the time, and then people who want babies can't have babies. It's never convenient. It's never exactly how you want it to be. It's always in God's hands, in God's plan, and, but it's given to us. This is a personal blessing, a personal gift given to us. It's astonishing to me, actually, just 
thinking about, we seem to be in a time where children are despised and hated more than I can ever remember. It's kind of shocking to, to think about it. So if we don't get rid of our kids before they're born, then we'll give them social media from a really young age or we'll try and sexualize them from a really, really young age or kids that can't drive, not old enough to drive, not old enough to drink alcohol, not, not old enough to vote, but we'll let them make life-changing decisions about their identity. We seem to be in a culture that hates children. I don't know if there's any other way to say it. That despises childhood. Despises family. What's going on here? Why, why is this? Because children are so precious. They're such a gift from God. They're hope for the future. They're, and even the birth of Jesus. This is how God planned to bring about salvation to the world is through a baby. I can only conclude that this hatred is some kind of evil response to God associating with the human race and coming in our likeness, being born in our likeness. It's almost like a demonic reaction against it to, dilute, to, to kind of poison the human race somehow. Because surely somebody in, in their heart of hearts knows that a child needs to be protected and cherished and loved and cared for and this is, this is a, sim- a child is a symbol of so many good, glorious things. And so all the things we do to our children in our time and our day and age are like, they're a direct assault on what God has made and on God's heart and on God's righteousness. I feel like Isaiah right now. Isaiah says some very heavy things, saying some very heavy things. The gift of a child, any child is a and the gift of Jesus, this particular child being born is the greatest gift. And when you get given a child, you're, it's an incredible responsibility. You have to die to yourself. I mean, the amount of money, the amount of time. I mean, something happens to your brain when you become a parent. Like, you can't think straight. You, you suffer. Kids, we had to suffer for you. My kids are up here. Just remember that, all the suffering you caused us. <laughs> didn't plan on that one I'll get told off later on as a child grows the parent is forced to grow I actually think that so, so the, the two big mechanisms that God gives us to grow in our lives are marriage and parenthood because those two things that God has instituted they put you in a place where you have to die to yourself because now you've got other people that you're responsible for, that you have to care for and love and give up to, to you have to make sacrifices for in order to, for, their, their, for them to thrive and them to do well. And so it, it forces you to die to yourself. Now, so that, that way, if you're, if you're single or you're married without children, you have to work harder at putting yourself in context that stretch you, that, that, that cause you to, to be a spiritual parent or in other ways to relate to people in other ways that, will, that force you to have to make bigger sacrifices. Because God has given us those two, two means to, to grow us. And so the gift of... See, Isaiah is saying, God has given Jesus to the world. It's like someone handing you a baby on the street. You've been given this responsibility. And he will, Jesus will require a lot from you. What are you going to do with Jesus? 
Christmas time, there's responsibility on us, isn't there? We have to buy people gifts. We have to buy, we have to, sometimes you feel pressure to decorate. How much decorating should I do? The responsibilities, what are we going to do with Jesus? He requires much of us. And he's been made in our likeness. That's a curious thing, isn't it? We're made in the image of God, and then God decided to be born in our likeness. It's like super meta somehow. But you're going to... We're told we're going to be fascinated with this baby. Just like all babies, we're going to be fascinated with this, with this Jesus. And he's going to be innocent, truly innocent. He's going to start with that clean slate, but then maintain that clean slate and never sin. And not only is he going to be a transformative figure in the world, but he's going to be God in the flesh. God come to us. This is the paradox of the Christian belief system. It is, it is a mystery, and it has to be a mystery, because if you're going to believe in God, then there are going to be things that you're going to believe about God that don't make sense. Otherwise, you're not believing in God. Do you understand that? If, you, if, there are, if God makes perfect sense, then you don't believe in God. You believe in something else. To believe in God is to believe in impossible things that are beyond the realm of, of the physical realm, beyond, beyond your imagination. And so we've got these paradoxes in the Christian faith. So we see that a child was born who is everlasting. It's in Isaiah's prophecy here. A child is born to us, but his name shall be ever, is everlasting. Well, those are opposites. How does that work? He's a newborn that is also a father. How does that work? Well, I don't know. I told you last week, you know, you, you, you study Christian theology for years, or to, or to tell people, that one's a mystery. No one knows the answer to that one. This child will be unlike any other person ever born in the history of the human race. And we're told that he's, the government is going to be upon his shoulder, that he's a governor as well, as well as a counselor. Now, those are opposites. People in governing positions tend to be ambitious, even harsh, or you know, strong leaders at times, people with power, people with ambition. Counselors, though, they're like uh, empathetic and caring and they listen well. So you have a, have a, you have a governor who's a counselor. This is, this is the beauty and the majesty of the person of Jesus to us. Is that, and this is the kind of leader we need. We need that benevolent leader in our lives who has the power to do what is right, to overcome all the evil and to do what is right and to orchestrate things in the right way, but also has that heart of compassion, has that empathy, has that love and that grace to actually forgive the evil of the human heart as well. It says the government will be on his shoulder. Now, we're in a day and age where there is record levels of distrust in government. Rightfully so. Our institutions have failed us. People have lied. People, terrible things have happened. And we're distrusting and disillusioned with our day and age, with our, with our governing Leaders, even though we put, even though we're, we're also a generation that believes that the only way to change things is to create a law. You just got to create a law, then you'll change it. No, people people enforce the laws they believe in. We understand that, right? It's not the law that has to be changed; it's the human heart that has to be changed. And the only person that can change the human heart is this baby. Is this this person who's like nobody else you'll ever meet? He's this wonderful counselor. So we're in a day and age where we're skeptical and disillusioned with our institutions. And I'm saying the weight of the government is going to be on Jesus. The weight of the government is going to be on him. And Jesus came 
when you read the Gospels, Jesus is declaring his kingdom all the time. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is always saying, he's, he's talking about the kingdom of God, his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, he calls it sometimes. It's, it's, it's this amazing idea that, yes, God gives authority to governing powers. Yes, there are institutions in the world that have power to organize society, of course. But what we learn about Jesus is there's a government that sits above all of that. And that, and even Jesus said this at his, actually at his crucifixion. What did he say to Pilate? Because Pilate says, don't you know I have the authority? I have the authority to set you free or to crucify you. Jesus says, you don't have any authority other than what's been given to you from heaven. There is a kingdom, and Jesus is the king of this kingdom, that transcends the kingdoms of the world, that is truly in charge, has the true power God can topple kings. He can establish kings. He's the, God is the kingmaker. What confidence and peace that gives us in a day and age where we've lost so much trust and we're so disillusioned and so we've got so much tension in our culture. The answer is, well, you've got to understand the power that's behind all the other powers. That's, that's what we've got to understand. Is that There's a God who can change everything in a second. There's a God who's got a mysterious plan, and I don't under, always understand why he lets evil go on so long at times. Why, God, does he do that? That's a mystery as well. One day we'll learn. One day, hopefully, we'll know. We'll, we'll understand all the reasons, but that doesn't take away from the Abrahamic faith that we're to display to, to, to believe that God is good, and he's seek, seeking out a greater good through all of these things. Why does God... Why, why do we even have governing powers? Well, we're naturally dysfunctional, naturally fallen, and without centralized powers, you, you have chaos, you have disorder. You, cultures are fragile. Cultures can fall apart in a day. It's, it's, it's a crazy thing to think about. And so God gives governing powers to, to bring about order, right? That someone has to have authority. Someone has to take the lead. Someone has to create some kind of safety and, and, and security in a culture so that people can thrive. If you don't have that, then you have rampant evil. The problem is, with the leaders of governing powers in our world, is they're all untrustworthy. That's the problem. They're all untrustworthy. Next time you vote, don't vote with the hope that that person's going to solve all your problems or solve the world's problems. Better chance they're going to make it worse. We have to understand that Jesus is really in charge. That's the hope we have. That's the hope we have. There's, there's a kingdom power that's above all the other earthly powers. That Yes, they're given, but they're subservient to this, this power that exists. And so that's why today we're, we're going to dedicate babies because we don't dedicate them to the earthly powers or we don't dedicate them to a political party or we don't dedicate them to the things that people are hoping in today. Here's what we're going to do is we're going to dedicate them to Jesus. Because he has the kingship. He's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. He's the president of presidents. That's what we're going to be doing today because we want to have hope and joy in the work of Jesus. And God, our Father, what did he do? When he gave his son to the world as a responsibility, what are you going to do with this child? What are you going to do with this son I'm going to give you? He gave him as a child. He dedicated his son to us. God the Father dedicated his son to us came as a child, in the God in the flesh. This is what Christmas is all about, right? God gave himself in the most humble, purest, most personable way. 
there's no, there's no God more relatable than Jesus. That's why we call him Lord of Lords, King of Kings, President of Presidents. It also says he's the Prince of Peace. All the conflict. If you, if you have unforgiveness in your heart against somebody else, that's killing you. It's robbing you. The only way to get rid of it is to know that you've been forgiven. That's the only way. If you understand that you've been, you can be forgiven by God, that gives you power to say, I can forgive anyone of anything they'd ever do from, for, uh, against me. That's the true message of the gospel. So this Christmas, let's go deep. Let's go deep with, with Jesus. Let me ask you to do something. We did our Angels, Angels of Hope Christmas gift drive for families of uh, those in the prison system to give them Christmas gifts. If you, if you didn't get a chance to do that, or you haven't done something like that this year, Christmas, we're buying gifts for our relatives and people we know. Don't forget it's Jesus' birthday. And it's the kind of gift that Jesus likes. is to give to somebody you don't know who needs it. Somebody lowly. Could be spiritually poor. There could be somebody who's spiritually poor. Maybe a neighbor. Buy them a Christmas present. That can bring peace. That can bring hope. That can bring joy. That can open the door. That can open an opportunity. Don't just get presents for those we know. Let's, let's go all out on Christmas this year.